0: Good morning, Northridge Life Church. On this, our sixth Sunday of live streaming during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, it is uh, really good to have you joining us uh, online, and uh, we look forward to all that the Lord is going to do this morning here and where you are as well. Um, we sometimes speak of uh, a new normal. Uh, this is not normal and uh, we look forward to getting back to what is normal for us and being together uh, in, in body and spirit here, hopefully sooner uh, than later. Uh, just a reminder uh, that we will be praying uh, live for many of the needs that you guys have. And so we'd like to ask that you would please uh, type into the comments box uh, any uh, any prayer needs that you have. And uh, during the pastoral prayer time, we will be lifting up to the Lord uh, those needs. So now as uh, we prepare our hearts for worship, hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 145. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works give thanks to you, O Lord and all your saints bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of its power. To make known to the children of men your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. And kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him. But all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And let all flesh... Bless his holy name forever and ever.
1: Um, I mentioned uh, in a post on Facebook, on our Facebook page yesterday, that had a big announcement um, for today. And here it is. Um, those of you uh, who are following the news may be aware that the state of Texas has said that we are allowed um, to gather uh, in person uh, going forward, we we uh, uh, we can do that from from this point. We're getting a little bit of applause in the room here, but I think we're all we're all ready to get back together. Um, what and so we're very excited about that. We cannot wait to see your faces. Um, we uh, say it every week. These guys say it every week. We miss you so much, and we we really want to be with you in your in your physical presence and so one thing that you do need to know before you all come running up to the church mm-hmm. is that there is a there are some some still going to be some restrictions and some very 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 strong recommendations that go with that in order to make sure that everybody's safe obviously the pandemic's not completely over uh and so we want to take advantage of what the what the state is allowing us to do and yet to do it wisely um, and so uh, i'm going to be sending out a letter later this week Um, a a hard copy letter I'll also follow it up with an email so you'll make sure and get it um, that will give you all the details of of what we're asking of you if you're going to participate in our services with us and uh, and but let me just kind of go over a few things real quickly uh, don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this this morning, but, but, uh, what we're going to do. So next week we will have church in the building at 10 a.m. Uh, it is not going to be business as usual because we just can't afford to do that right now. So, so some of the things you need to know is that if you are over 65, if you have a, a, a compromised immune system, if you find yourself in one of the, the high risk categories that you've heard so much about, we want to encourage you to, to to seriously weigh whether you need to be here or not. We're not. No one's going to judge anybody if they can't make it. Uh, we want you to really, really weigh the risks of coming or not coming, um, and and we will encourage you and support you in whatever decision you make. Um, because of that. While we will be gathering physically in the building, um, we also are going to continue the live stream. So it's it's going to be kind of a two for one. We'll have live stream broadcasts and we'll also have uh, the live services for anyone who would like to gather here at the church next week. if you're uncomfortable gathering with the body, even if you're not in one of the high-risk uh, categories, we understand, people with small children, people in other categories. Again, I want to make it really clear, you're still a valued part of this family. If you feel like you can't come, no problem, no judgment. We will see you when you feel safely that you can rejoin us. Um, but uh, but if, for those of you that, that feel confident that you can do that safely, we want to invite you to, to join us. Um, We also want to ask, when you come, that families sit together, that you don't disperse too much. We're really going to try to to stay uh, within the social distancing guidelines that have been uh, given to us by the government. And so we want to encourage that as well. Um, And what social distancing here will look like is that we still need to observe the six-foot rule of separation Um, as best as we can within the building. Even those of us who are in the building right now who are producing this, this live feed, are uh, are uh, remaining in the, in the six-foot social distance. Um, that means uh, uh, the, the three H's are prohibited. No handshakes, no hugs, no high fives. So keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. I know we'd all love to give each other a big hug, but, but let's just hold off on that for just a little while longer and just enjoy the benefit of getting to see each other face to face. We will not be having coffee service, because of the uh, the uh, risks that could be associated with that, so um, if you want coffee, bring it. Uh, you're still welcome to bring it, but we won't be providing it. Um, and as far as our communion service, one of the things that I've really missed is having communion with you and um, and taking it. We we really yesterday when the elders and I met, we talked about. That and how to do that safely. Well, I'm really happy to announce that we were able to get um, one of the the, uh, we, the communion sets that comes everything self-contained, so it's completely hygienic. Um, the the juice and the and the, the wafer are sealed together in the cup. And so we'll have those ready for you. They'll be, they'll be already put on the tables for you to just walk by and grab at the time of communion. Uh, and, and so we will not, no one will have to serve you communion. And so that, that's something we're real excited about that we will be able to take communion and it will be safe. Um, there will also be hand sanitizer throughout the building for anybody who needs that. Um, and we all will. Um, so, uh, one of the biggest changes you need to know about for next week is that there will not be, and, and honestly for the next several weeks, There will not be child care at all. We will not be opening our classrooms. We will not be able to provide child care. So if you come, just be aware that your children will have to sit with you. Now, we want to make that as easy as we can for you, especially with you with young children if you choose to come. And so what we're going to do is we're going to continue to have a children's portion of the service so that they can get some teaching and some interaction and be a part of the body, which is a real value of our church, as you all well know Um, We also are going to provide the children with a worksheet or coloring page and and some crayons and, and things like that, so they'll have something active to do during the service as well. And last but not least on that point, This is Northridge Life Church. If your kids get a little antsy and rowdy, we don't care. Essentially, we think it's really important to have children involved in the body and be a part of the body. Uh, A little a crying child, a little antsy child is not going to bother us at all. If things get a little intense, then then we'll have the obviously you can take your children out to the foyer and let them kind of work off some steam, or maybe have you work some steam off them, whatever, (laughs) however that works. But (laughs) but uh, we'll uh, uh, we'll work through it. So don't worry about that too much um uh, while you're in the foyer with your children we do want you to continue to remember the six foot rule and, and let's keep everybody safe um uh, and that's it for that so we really want you to be here if you can and if you feel like you can do so safely um we'll be here 10 o'clock next sunday and we we are just uh love to have you look forward to seeing you um it's been too long and so we, we want to uh, be with you if you can amen
2: so we are about to uh read god's word and it is we're going to look at psalm 33 13 through 22 so all right psalm 33 13 the lord looks down from heaven he sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds and our shield for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name let your steadfast love O lord be upon us even as we hope in you this is god's word
1: thank you ginger would you pray with me for just a moment heavenly father we come before you as we have now seven times lord and and just thank you that you are our sustainer that we have never been out of your sight, Lord, when, when a pandemic began to spread across our land, Lord, you saw us and you prepared us and God, you, you have carried us as on eagle's wings through this whole time, this whole crisis, Lord, and you will continue to carry us because we have captured your gaze, Lord, because you love us, because you care for us, Lord. And God, we thank you uh, for that. And we, Lord, we, we thank you that even now you're reaching to people who have nothing to hope in by your gaze, but only things to fear because of your holiness and their lostness, Lord. And so I pray that you would today accomplish a great thing, great things through the preaching of your word and that you would draw people to know you and that they would come and, and put their trust in you, Lord. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach to the people that I love so much, God. And I pray that you would empower me and that you would you would um, put guardrails on my heart, on my words, Lord, that I would not go further than you want me to go. And, and, and I would stay right on course, stay in the lane that you've given me this morning, Lord, of, of the text and the scripture. And Father, I thank you for that, Lord. I, I thank you for what you're going to accomplish through the preaching of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would make us all attentive to it, including including the one who's preaching it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, the verse that Ginger read us a moment ago reminds us of something just wonderful. That we all live under the constant searching gaze of Almighty God. The Bible says that the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of men. He, Whether you're an important person or... Whether you're a common person, whether you're a rich person or a poor person, whether you're a famous person or nobody knows your name, God sees you always. He is always looking at you. He's always watching you. Revelation chapter 2 and 3 right there at the beginning of the book of revelation they contain seven messages seven letters that the resurrected glorified lord jesus wants to deliver to seven specific churches uh, spread out throughout the roman world and while these messages the content of them are different they have each one of the seven letters in, in chapters 2 and 3 have three things that are in common with each other. Three things that, that are found in each of the letters that, that are written there. Um, the, the, the first thing that you see in those messages is that they have a strong encouragement for anyone who will pay attention, who anyone who will listen carefully to the words of the message, and and who will respond accordingly. Um, Each letter, each and every one of them says this. It says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Secondly, Each one of these letters, each one of these messages has a glorious promise for anyone who will persevere until the end. Each promise in those letters begins like this. It says, to the one who conquers or the one who overcomes. And and then it's followed by a promise of reward for that overcoming soul. And the third thing that these things have, that these letters rather, these messages have in common is this each letter, before the two other phrases that we find common to them, in each letter we find Jesus saying to His church something that we should all take very close attention to. He says, I know. Jesus looks at seven churches and He says, I know. Well, what does He mean? He means that He knows everything. He knows the good. He knows the bad. He knows the ugly. He knows everything because it is all before God's Eyes. He knows that the church at Ephesus has labored in the gospel, that they've refused to tolerate false apostles, but he also knows that they've abandoned the passionate love that they had for Christ at the very beginning. He knows that the church at Smyrna has been subject to poverty and tribulation and slander. And, and, and he sees the, the church at Pergamum where, and he says that's where Satan lives. And, and even though they live where Satan lives, they've, they've been faithful under persecution, but they're also welcoming false teaching. Jesus sees all this and the situation that he finds in Thyatira is very similar. He looks at the church of, of, of Sardis and he says, I know you're dead, and yet you have a reputation for being alive and well. He sees that Philadelphia is faithful. The church at Philadelphia is faithful, but they're barely hanging on. And then he says that he knows that the church at Laodicea is neither hot nor cold, but they are lukewarm. The psalmist in this verse we read this morning says, He who fashions the hearts of them all observes all of their deeds. Because God sees all people at all times in every single place, He knows every detail, every hidden and intimate aspect of our lives. There are no secrets. Psalm 14.1, really familiar passage of Scripture. It says this, it says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. Now, I've always kind of relegated that passage as kind of a rebuke to strict atheists, people who deny the very existence of God. But I want you to know that on further study of that passage, that is not what that scripture is saying. It's not saying people who say there is no God are fools, although they are definitely included in the equation. It's not saying that they're fools because they say there is no God. The fool is someone who expresses their foolishness by actually believing that there is a God and yet acting as though there is none. As, as acting as though th- that they live outside the inspection of God's holy surveillance. The Psalms say that this, to live that way, is madness. Because there's a God who sees everything. Now slow down and listen to what I'm saying. There is a God who sees Everything. He sees your internet history even after you've deleted it. He sees the way you act and the advantages you take when the boss isn't around. He sees the hatred and the unforgiveness that you harbor in your heart even if your lips say that it's not there. He sees it. He sees it all. People may not notice Your inconsistencies, they may notice your hypocrisies, but let me assure you this morning that God sees everything. And others, you have the advantage of this, that others might forget what you have done, but God never forgets. God is privy to every single private action and every inward thought because he's a king who reigns over every detail of everything that he has created. Our text says this, it says, from where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. The, the context is that he is a king his majesty places him high above us and it gives him the perfect vantage point. The fact that God sees everything should not comfort everybody. Listen carefully. You, you, may, you may have this kind of uh, wispy fairy tale vision of, the, of, the, of some benefit that you have because God sees you. And I'm telling you, there are many of you who should not be comforted by the fact that God sees you. Many should tremble when they hear this. They should regard it as a terrible fact that God sees them. In John's vision, in the Latin I talked about the first of Revelation, at the very end of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 20, John, in his vision, describes a day when all of the things that God has seen will come back to haunt many of us. He says in Revelation 2012, he says, "And I saw the dead, great and small." standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. There's a day coming when a book is going to be opened, and the meticulous records... Of everything you've done, everything you've forgotten, everything you've tried to forget, it's all going to be read aloud for your perfect recall. Now I'm going to tell you, I I heard this when I was a child growing up in church, and I feared that day, I, I was terrified of that day because of this. I thought, oh my goodness, I don't want my friends, my parents, my my the people I go to church with that think I'm such a good little boy, I don't want them to know what is written in that book. Scared me. But I want you to know that exposure to others is not what makes that day so scary. The people listening in that day around you when those books are read will will be just as guilty as you are. And they will not care about the salacious details of your worst crimes anymore. They won't give a flip what you've done. Because you and they alike... Will be seized with terror when all your wickedness is laid bare before the flaming eyes of an infinitely holy God. Because you will be standing there naked, without excuse, you will have no earthly pleasures to distract your attention from your awakened conscience, you will have no amusements to lull you to sleep. All you will have to do is stand there before infinite holiness and give an account for everything written in the book and we hate that thought we we hate it because we know deep down that this day awaits us everyone knows that the Bible says that God has put eternity into the hearts of men and they know this day is coming they know it and as we live down here we strategize we try to build a defense against the coming day of God's judgment uh, let me tell you a story to try to illustrate this. I, I used to sell, for a brief period of my life, I used to sell residential roofing. And so we would have a big hailstorm, and I'd go out and try to find people that I could I could uh, sell our, our company's services to and replace the roof. And I would go, and I'd tell people what I did, and they'd say, well, you can go ahead and take a look at the roof. And so I'd climb up there and look, and I'd sure enough find some damage, and I would come down... Uh, the latter, and I'd talk to him and say, yeah, there's this kind of damage, this kind of damage, and I think it's, it's going to be totaled, and um, and so let me tell you how to get in touch with your insurance agent, and, and you can uh, kind of work it out with them, and, and if you'd like for us to do it, we can do it. And I can't tell you how frequently, this is amazing, this happens so much, but how frequently when I tell them that how to handle it, their eyes would drop, a look of fear mingled with shame would come on their faces, and they would tell me a story, they would say, you know, we had that big hailstorm three or four years ago. And when that hailstorm hit, we contacted the insurance company and they gave us a big check, $10, 15 $20,000 to put the new roof on the, on the, uh, uh, on the, the house. And we got that big check and we thought, this is a great time to go to Disney World with the family. And so they, they, they loaded up the family, they went to Disney World, they went to Hawaii, they went to wherever they, they would go, they bought a new car, they did whatever. And so now, because they've already been paid for a damaged roof, they've got to come up with some cash quick to replace that roof out of their own pockets. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars. And it happened all the time. I'd hear that same story. And I want you to know that you and I are exactly the same kind of fool if we think that these days that God has provided for us to repent, to know Him, to, to learn, to walk in, in intimate fellowship with Him, if we think that we can just squander those days and not pursue Him. And spend all of these days on our desires, on our pleasures. I am here to tell you, God has sent me to tell you, that the storm is coming, and a bill is going to be due sooner than you think. And so we do what we all do. We try to pay that bill out of our pocket and, and we, we pay it. We try to collect as much self-righteous morality as we can to pay the bill. We, we make false assumptions about God's inability or even his unwillingness to see our rebellion and, our, and our, our, our posture of defiance to him. And I'm telling you, this is a terrible, terrible strategy, terrible strategy. It's what, it's what the psalmist means when he says, The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Listen carefully. Your wealth, your knowledge, and your strength will be meaningless when God opens the book before his great white throne. All of those things in which you and I boast And and, and those things that we like to remind ourselves of to kind of anesthetize ourselves, they're like the war horse. They're a false hope for salvation. Your money, your wisdom, your strength, false hope for salvation. And like the war horse, they cannot rescue. Jeremiah 9.23. Powerful passage. It's a warning from God. It says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, Everything that we have, everything that we can do, will never help us to relieve the burden of God's watchful eye and His careful recording of all of our deeds. It'll never help us. We have nothing to bring to this negotiation. Our only hope lies in understanding and in knowing God. He tells us what it's like. To know him, to understand him in the verse we just read, first he says that he practices steadfast love, and this means that God is loving towards his frail creatures. He delights to bestow mercies on those who least deserve it. but it also says that he practices justice and he practices righteousness. And this means in the same vein that he will never, ever waver for even a nanosecond in in that which his holiness requires. His holiness requires perfection, and he will not bend the rules for you or anyone else. He never turns a blind eye to sin, and he never, ever gives sinners a pass, ever. God says... That he delights. Now let's, let's go through the catalog again. God delights in steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. Now how do those not contradict each other? How, how can God find those in any of us? Well the answer is he can't. God can never find steadfast love, justice, righteousness, living perfectly and harmoniously in any of his creatures. None of us. He can only find what he delights in. Steadfast love, justice, righteousness, within himself and within his Son. That's the only place he's going to find it. The Son came to seek and to save the lost. And in so doing, he practiced steadfast love. He healed the sick. He delivered the oppressed. He forgave the wicked. He died on a cross to open heaven's gate to everyone who believes. And on that cross, his body was consumed with the well-deserved, holy wrath of God for human sin. And in doing so, he was upholding both justice and righteousness. In order to escape the fear of God's all-seeing eye, you must believe this. You must Believe that righteousness and justice and steadfast love will never be found in you. It'll only be found in Jesus. You have to believe that. You have to believe this, and you have to enter into a true relationship of tender love and eternal fellowship with Jesus Christ. The Psalm we read this morning says the exact same thing. It says, "Behold, the eye of the Lord." is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love. For those who put their faith in what Christ has done, that's where the eye of the Lord is no terror. For those that hope in His steadfast love, and and those who invite Him to come near and to change our lives, the eye of the Lord will no longer bring terror, but comfort. The eye of the Lord, the Bible says, is on those who fear Him. Now, this this is a different kind of fear from the fear that the lost experience. This kind of fear is a solemn, reverential respect for His holiness, where honoring the Lord replaces flippancy about His rule in our lives. When, he, when we rever, reverently fear the Lord... And we hope in his perfect mercy there is a great promise of reward. The Bible says that God promises to deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Now really, really think about what that is promising. The verse does not say that God will deliver our soul from dying. It doesn't say that. It says that he will deliver his soul from death. And that's an important distinction. See, because you live in a world where, that thinks that the absolute worst thing that can happen to you and I is to die. They think that's that's the pinnacle of bad things that can happen. But see, what happens to those who hope in the steadfast love of the Lord, when we trust the Lord, we understand that our ultimate deliverance comes through death and not by escaping around it. That's That we win no matter what. If we're going to have some kind of deliverance, great, we win. If we die and go uh, live in perfect peace with Jesus forever, we win. We can't lose. He delivers our soul through death. The verse, uh, the verse also promises that God will keep them alive in famine. So it doesn't mean that our only option is to die. Because God is king and throned on high, He can rescue us from any trouble, but He can also sustain us when we have to go through it. It doesn't say that he'll, he'll keep them from ever going through a famine. It says he'll keep them alive when they do. God sustains us. You, you, your wealth, your wealth, I don't care how much you have, your wealth cannot do that. It can't keep you alive. It can't, it can't save you. Many of you have lost thousands in this market. And in your retirement accounts over the last few months, you've lost thousands of dollars. Your strength can't preserve you. Think about it, we're all hiding out right now from an unseen virus. What value is your strength? Your wisdom, phew, it can't save you. Your wisdom can't save you. I mean, come on, let's be honest. How many of you saw this pandemic coming? And if you are that smart, I sure wish you would have told the rest of us. The psalm ends that we read this morning with a declaration. It says, our soul Waits for the Lord. He's our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in Him because we trust in His holy name. Because of God's steadfast love, which was revealed perfectly in Jesus Christ, we can trust the Lord as our help when we're in over our heads physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. We can look to Him to be our shield against evil people and against evil days, which both will surely come our way. And the result is of this, of knowing this, of believing this, of being rooted in that fact, is that our hearts are made glad, no matter what our circumstances. And they're made glad when and only when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The psalm doesn't just end with a declaration. It also ends with a prayer. It says, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. And why why a prayer? They've made the declaration, pretty strong declaration. Why a prayer? Because our boldest declarations are rendered absolutely meaningless without the preserving power of Jesus Christ's grace. Think about it. Peter said that even if all the other disciples leave you, Jesus, I will never leave you. Bold declaration. And we know that before the rooster crowed, he denied the Lord Jesus that same night three times. Bold declaration. What was the problem? Well, he relied on the strength of his declaration to stay true instead of the power of his God. The writer says, let your steadfast love be upon us, even as we hope in you. There's a simultaneous thing that's being described there. We must return to the gospel. We tell you this all the time. This is a great time to pay attention to it. We must return to the gospel and renew our belief in it, not just every day, but every single moment. We continually hope in Jesus' grace. And as we do, not wavering from the message we received, hoping in Jesus' work alone, moment by moment, never our own work, we know the grace, we know the fellowship, and we know the empowering of God in Christ. When you really think about it, and take a second and really think about it, you you, you got to be honest with yourself. When you think about the fact that God's eye is ever upon you, how does that make you feel? Right now, God sees everything. He's been watching. He's been cataloging. How does that make you feel? Does that fill you with Terror? Do you begin to tremble and quake when you consider the all-watching eye of God? Or because you have planted your hope firmly in the risen, all-powerful, all-sufficient, all-sovereign Lord Jesus Christ, does the thought of God's never-blinking eye fill you with joy, with comfort, with strength, with encouragement, with peace. If you will look to Jesus as your Savior, and more than that, your loving Master, your first love, your closest friend, and the one who paid your debt, the one who granted a full and complete pardon of all your crimes, the look of God, the the gaze of God, will strengthen you like a child who, who, whose father notices that he's in danger and pulls him from that danger. So today I'm calling you, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter where, what life has stacked up against you, including this coronavirus, I want to call you today to place all of your hope, today and every day, in the steadfast love of the Lord Jesus. His eye is on those who fear him, on those who trust in his steadfast love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you see us. God, even those who are coming to a realization of the, the fear and the terror of your gaze, God, I thank you that you see them because it the, the, the allows their consciences to be awakened and they can... They can turn their hearts to you, Lord, and, and they can repent of the things that they, they don't want to have read in front of your holy gaze, Lord. So I thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that, that your searching heart would search deep, Lord God, that, that as David prayed in the Psalms, that you would search them and know them and see if there's any wicked way in them, Lord God, and then lead them to the rock that is higher than they are, Lord. And, and God, I pray that you would do that and, and God, that you would cause them to to put all of their trust all of their hope in you reserving nothing lord jesus and god for those of us who have trusted in you lord and and those of us who have trusted in you and yet have gone through cancer who've gone through financial losses who've gone through covid-19 who've gone through relational difficulties and and problems with our children and our spouses and 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 our jobs, Lord. For those of us who, who have trusted you and yet have, have been through trouble, Lord, we thank you that your eye is on us, Lord. The Bible says that you see every sparrow that falls to the ground. And yet you regard us as much more valuable than just an old bird. And so thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for that. Lord, I pray that we would begin as believers to relish your gaze, to to rejoice in it, to dance in the light of your your face, Lord God, as you look toward us. And we thank you for that. Thank you for the Son who is making intercession for us even now before your throne, Lord, that he is looking at us and looking to you to, to rescue us, to provide for us, to strengthen us, Lord. And Lord, for those of us, God, that have lived, said in our hearts that there is no God, even if we've said to others that we believe in you, Lord, I pray that you would correct us and grant us the great gift of repentance today, Lord God, that we could return to you and find hope and strength and comfort in your gaze. And we ask all this in the name, the mighty name, the holy name, the strong name, the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. If you would stand up, place your hands in a receiving position. I want to return this morning to our, our um, kind of general, uh, classic, I guess, uh, benediction, because it says so much of what I wanted to try to say to you this morning. The Lord bless you and keep you, and the Lord make His face To shine upon you. And be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And give you peace. I love you very much. I hope I get to see a lot of you face to face next Sunday. If not, we'll see you here online. Love you. See you next week.